0: Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber. And joining me today is Nick Darty, president and owner of Financial Cop. Thank you for joining me, Nick. Honored to be here today. Looking really forward to our listeners being able to hear your story. It's a unique one um, that I'm very excited to share. So um, let's jump right in. If you're ready, share with us your story. How did you get into f- the financial services arena?
1: Well, I got into the financial services arena because I did a bunch of stupid stuff as a rookie cop back in the day. Um, I came into law enforcement uh, with about $80,000 in debt. 21000 of that was in one car stereo system. Yes, just one. Um, And I got myself kind of hooked on the overtime cycle that so many of my brothers and sisters do, where I was having to work 20 hours of overtime every week to pay my bills. And uh, in law enforcement, that's a scary proposition because in our industry, it's not a matter of if, it's when you get injured and you can't work overtime when you're on light duty. Uh, So I was very fortunate. I had a beat partner that was a 20-year vet, became one of my best friends and still is to this day. And he was that cop that would go car to car and pound financial wellness into the rookie's heads. And... I got introduced to the the, uh, debt snowball mentality on how to pay off debt. And I used that debt snowball mentality to pay off all $80,000 in debt over 24 months by working over 1,000 hours of overtime. So that kind of was my start of starting to get interested in finances because I got to see how digging myself out of a hole really lowered my stress from a financial perspective. And at this time during this whole process, I got married and saw how it was helping with the communication with my wife. And so I became the money nerd at my department and fast forward to 2011, uh, we got a new chief named Steve Dye and he heard about the money nerd and he basically ordered me to, to design a class to start teaching all of his cops about this. And so in a roundabout way, that was my introduction to finances
0: dig a little deeper into money nerd. Like how did that, how did that name come about? They just, you just went around talking about it and that they tagged you with that nickname or.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I it, it had such an impact on my life of starting to again, dig out of that hole and the stress of it. I just kind of became kind of like that mentor of mine where it was like, Hey, uh, you know, what are you doing with your overtime? Where, right? How much debt do you have? And I just started talking to everybody because I wanted to have the, the kind of the same impact that I saw in my life and my family. And and how could I help the stress of my, my brothers and sisters? And so the more people I talked to, uh, the more they just kind of started to label me that money nerd. I'm sure there were some people that were like uh, seeing me come down the hall and they're like, oh, great. Here comes Nick again. Uh, but I just, I, would, I wouldn't stop talking about it with people.
0: I think that's that's really cool. And then somehow along your journey, um, everything happens for a reason, right? That's what we're teeing up right here. How did you decide to switch careers and actually focus professionally yeah. on financial wellness?
1: You know, it was a struggle. Um, the class had kind of started to blow up and I was being asked to teach not only in my department, but other leadership academies and, and agencies and I remember I was going to a benchmark city conference with my chief and we were on a flight. He was talking about how much he loved what this class had become. And and I looked at him and I said, chief, I got to be honest with you, I, I hate this class. And he goes, why do you hate this class? I said, well, I hate this class because once a month you go make me teach it at the academy. And every time I teach it, I feel like this is what I should be doing. But I love being a cop. And he looked at me and he goes, You're, I'm, I'm going to lose you. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to lose me. And so I ended up going to a conference and there was a speaker named Chris Hogan that literally brought me to my knees. And he said, somewhere, someone's waiting for you to become what God intended for you to become. How much longer are you going to make them wait? And I realized that my entire life had been meant to do this. And I I realized I went $80,000 in debt so that I could learn the debt snowball so that I could become the money nerd so that I could get ordered to teach a class. And I literally came home that Monday and went straight to my chief's office. And I said, I'm done. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, There's not a doubt in my mind. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And you're part of the reason I was put here because you ordered me to teach this class.
0: What other resources did you use to prepare yourself for that career change? I mean, you'd learned a lot throughout your own journey, but were there there other things? There's listeners out there who are thinking about switching careers um, and have Probably not nearly as powerful of an experience as you had, but who knows? Yeah. So share with them maybe the the resources that you had to lean into to
1: prepare yourself for that. So I started putting myself through just about every financial guru's class you could put yourself through. I I, I got a really keen interest in uh millionaires. And I started reading every study I could find on millionaires and that because I thought, you know, if I'm if I'm making this industry, one, I'd like to be a millionaire, and two get in this industry how do i help people become millionaires and the statistics on millionaires were just crazy on how you know really simple of a lifestyle that they learn um i ended up finding what i called my trainer firm which was a firm that would take me on under their wings and, and kind of teach me the ropes of financial planning because i knew how to do basic financial planning just for my personal life but trying to get into the intricacies of things and so that was really kind of my next stepping stone is finding that firm to allow me to train and learn the ins and outs and about 18 months into that i, I kind of looked in the mirror and said you know what i think i can do this on my own and so that's when i created financial god
0: and how did you find that firm did you ask
1: around was it referral <laughs> so the money nerd um so at my department i worked for the grand prairie texas police department and at my department uh people would email officers about hey what are you doing for your retirement planning basically cold call emails and it was funny because at the time every time an officer got a cold email it was forwarded to me to call and vet that person Uh, i would be called like if if somebody would come in to sell insurance or in that stuff at our association meeting i was the plant to ask the tough questions and do the research and so one called and it kind of piqued my interest because they talked about how they were working with a bunch of firefighters at a, a local agency so um, I called to vet them first and when they passed a lot of my tests, I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about jumping off a cliff and actually doing this as a, a career. And of course, you know, it's trying to find that person will give you the opportunity is tough. But when they found out about the class we teach, they were like, holy moly, this, this could be quite the little lead engine. Uh, and so that's how they gave me that opportunity and how I found them is just through a random cold email that, uh, got sent to me to vet them as a financial advisor. Again, everything happens for a reason. That's a great
0: story. Let's shift gears a little bit. Talk about your clients. What goals and characteristics do you look for when you're um, trying to decide who to work with?
1: Yep. So we primarily work with first responders. I would say 95% of our clientele are police and fire just because that's who we are. Um, And we work the gamut. Uh, We take first responders all the way from coaching all the way to retirement. And so what do I mean by that? You know, if they're getting close to retirement, we help them with, they're obviously figuring out what their pension means, what their, the ins and outs of what they can't do. Mid-career, we help them try to understand what they're doing in regards to their deferred comp accounts or their 401k accounts. But we actually start in the beginning process with just coaching a lot of people on, how to get out of debt, right? How to build a a, a a cash flow, a monthly monthly budget to get them to that point where they could become a client later on. I tell a lot of my financial cops that you know, yeah, there are some people that we're going to bring in, we're going to coach. They're not, we're, we're not going to make a dime off of them, but we're planting seeds. And and I've yet to not have seeds sprout to whether it's they become a client one day or they go back to the department and they're like, holy moly, this th- th- these guys are not out here just trying to make a dollar off us. They're actually trying to actually help us. And we get clients off that left and right just from word of mouth from from them
0: yeah the power of referrals is incredible and that's what you're describing and i think if somebody gets into a unique niche the way that you did there's also a loyalty and a trust that's built amongst particular groups not just police that can really help people build that credibility. So great story. So you mentioned you founded Financial Cop. That was 2018. You've really expanded your business. Talk about your team, who they are. And at what point did you know it was time to expand? What's that? It's it's always one of the best, the most um, asked questions is how do you know when it's time to add someone
1: to the team? You know, it's kind of come in phases. uh, The first person I hired is my right-hand man. He's uh, Mike Parker. He's a retired sergeant from uh, the Mesquite Police Department. And I met him in a roundabout way because I was asked to serve on a legislative reform committee because of pensions in the state. And I was on a bus going to the Capitol one day for the State of Police Association. And this guy gets on the bus next to me and we start talking about what I'm doing. And he's like, that's funny. I teach a class at my department. I'm like, well, that's why Mesquite never calls me. Um, and so we built a relationship and over the next year kind of convinced them, Hey, uh, I, I need other people that are like-minded that have the morals and the ethics that, that we need to support our brothers and sisters. So that's how I found my first person and kind of happened chance with that. And then as we started growing, it's been unique for us. You know, we've never, you know, a lot of advisors have gone through that struggle in the first couple of years. How do we find leads? You know, we've been the direct opposite. We just, we are overwhelmed with leads. Uh, when I talk about teaching the class, we are going to, you know, we, we average teaching about 5,000 first responders in person every year. Uh, so for perspective, last year, we taught 130 classes in 15 states. So we do a lot of teaching. So we get a lot of leads from that. And so the more the leads started coming in, the more I need, realized I needed to expand. And so we now have four financial cops. I have a retired sergeant from uh, the Carrollton Police Department, Brian Box, who just went full time with me. Um, and then I have a sergeant from the Plano Police Department who's about to go full time with me. And then we have a staff of two uh, support staff, although uh, my goal is so we're at six employees now. My, my goal is to actually be up somewhere around 10 to 15 by the end of next year.
0: So how do you market the classes just through the police departments across the country yeah. or explain how that works?
1: Yeah, it's kind of part of the scary part of this. Uh, we actually don't do any marketing at all um it's all word of mouth um and you know we've been teaching for so long and in so many places so we've officially taught over 30,000 first responders from 3,000 agencies nationwide and again it's that word of mouth you know there are others out there that are trying to teach to first responders but because we take such a wellness approach we don't push our company we don't push products we don't push financial planning we just go in there and teach core financial wellness topics. And then we wait for the phone to ring and the phone just rings. And so through that, people have heard us at conferences and just heard from other agencies. Um, It's just word of mouth. And it's, it's, I'm actually a little terrified if I were to market because right now me and Mike are booked to teach every week through the rest of this year. And we're already booking classes into April of next year.
0: And is that virtual face-to-face both? How do you do
1: it? Uh, Mainly face to face. So we have launched our virtual Financial Cop Academy. We actually just uh, were in the studio last week, refilming some parts of it. And so what we're doing with our virtual Financial Cop Academy is, for lack of a better analogy, we're basically building kind of like what Dave Ramsey did for Financial Peace University. We're building FPU for first responders in a virtual atmosphere. Uh, I did that initially hoping it would save me some travel time because I travel way too much. Uh, but cops and firefighters are creatures of, of habit. They like people in person, so uh, it's you know we 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 do a lot of in-person training.
0: And you mentioned conferences. Those are, I presume, um, industry conferences. Yes. So yeah. we get into that network.
1: Yeah, we get asked to teach a lot of, especially on the wellness space of things. Um, and uh, but just at some of the the national conferences where. You know, very honored. We're, we're one of the few uh, wellness groups that has been invited over and over again to multiple conferences. I have a, one of the most prestigious conferences. It's called the Concerns of Police Survivors Conference, and I think this will be our seventh out of eight years teaching for them. Uh, uh, so that's that's probably there's one of the biggest honors is when we get a call back going, I know you've been teaching for two years for us, but we want you back again for a third time, even though half the people are going to hear you again.
0: Amazing. What about training the new people? So when you bring somebody on, they're like you and and do they go through the same process you did? Not everybody has the same adult learning style. So do you have different ways
1: that you approach that? Yeah. You know, that's the second phase of the growth side of it. You know, when we first started adding advisors, it was just to handle the volume. And uh, last November, I made a decision to take the next step and realized that Uh, If I'm going to take this to the level I want to take it, I have to shift out of the advisor role and into the more of the CEO role. And so I hired some, uh, actually have two business coaches we're working with in different atmospheres to help me make that transition, build out those processes. And we've started to create formal org charts. And so Mike is actually in charge of training now because he's a much better trainer than I am, uh, patience-wise. And so we put them through the process of kind of a... Um, we, we almost treat it you know, when we teach our financial wellness class, we, we we teach what we call the eight phases of financial training. Right. Everybody in law enforcement has gone through field training and sometimes they struggle and they have to step out, and go to remedial and go right back into training. We do the same thing with our first responders we bring on as advisors. We put them through a, a, an FTO phase where observation for the first you know couple of months. I just want you to sit in the meetings and I want you to watch how we operate, how we do our financial planning, how we talk to people. Um, it's a truck transition for cops. We're used to going into an interaction and we direct, we do all the talking, um, you know, very you know short questions, whereas in the financial planning world, it's no, you want them to talk 90% of the time and you want to ask open ended questions. You want to elicit the conversation. Uh, so that first phase is really just to kind of get them to start to change their mindset. And then just like in training to be a cop, we slowly start to integrate them into starting to do some of the discussions and different topics and questions and then building the plan until they get to the point where they're in ghost phase, where we ghost them for several months, watching them run the meeting, do the plan to see if they've made training that they can go be out on their own.
0: And you've taught these classes, you said um, a couple of times, over 30,000 first responders nationally. Does it then become family? Well, first of all, let me ask, how many of those approximately convert to actual clients? How many clients do the six of you handle today?
1: Yeah, so we're up to about 300, 350 families. Um, we, again, 100% referral base. We don't market even after the class. We have an evaluation process where... They fill out an evaluation. They go into our email chain. Those kinds of things, and we kind of wait for them to call. Um, so we, we, I would say we have a decent conversion rate from the class. That probably could be a lot more if we targeted them. But I think that's part of the reason we get to come teach is because we don't target them. Um, as an example, the P- agencies are not going to let you come in and teach if they're if you're salesy. Um, and in in Texas is a good example. Um, When you promote to sergeant in North Texas, you're required to go through my class. It's in both leadership academies. When you promote to lieutenant and you go to the state leadership academy, you will go through my class. We just got done with the second round in Texas where the agency that mandates the training for all 1200 chiefs, all 1200 chiefs have had to go through my class now twice over the last six years. Um, And so we get more buy-in by coming in and teaching classes because we don't target NCELSEE. But at the same time, we've built so much trust because of that that the phone just rings off the hook.
0: Yeah, I, I can see how that works for sure. And you said 350 families. So what does the family counseling look like? Do if I'm a police officer, I go through your training, and I want you to give it to my spouse or my kids. Do you do any of that? Has it been something, you know, more generational that sparked up?
1: Yeah, that's one of the reasons we did the virtual academy is because I, one of the things we see in our evaluations all the time is, I, I, I love what you say, but when I go home, it's not well received. Uh, um, I remember back in the day when I when I listened to Dave Ramsey, more, he used to talk about how you know, he'd go to conferences and the spouse would come up and go, "Oh, you're Dave." And I I felt a little honored when I went to a conference one day and and I'm, I'm, you know, at the bar kind of networking at night and someone introduces me to their spouse and they're like, oh, you're Nick. (laughs) (laughs) And so that what we will do is a lot of times we will just give the spouses the access to the virtual academy to go through the same kind of training. We give them unlimited access for a year to repeat it as many times as they want. They get access to the new materials. Um, and so that's how they start to get incorporated to our way of thinking without the, the first responder trying to regurgitate what we're saying with that. Um, and, and then it's just a matter of what phase of the financial planning where they're in. You know, Again, are they in that coaching phase where they need, a, they need to hone down on what a budget looks like or debt or, or do they need to have savings? And, um, or are they in that phase where it's time to really accelerate and start to contribute to retirement accounts? We have some weird philosophies in the financial world. Uh, I actually will not let anybody contribute to a Roth IRA account with us if they have credit card debt. We make them pay their credit cards off. And and I get a lot of people look at me weird, and I've had financial advisors go, well, yeah, but you're losing out on billable assets. I go, yeah, but why am I trying to convince somebody to put money in the market and hope we make 10% when they're paying 26% on a credit card? And And lastly... You know, why would I convince them to put $50 a month into a Roth IRA where if I can spend a year getting them debt free, they're now going to put the max $541 a month and they're going to catch up. And now they're going to be a better client because they're saving more and the retirement's going to be better because they're not calling me because they need uh, money for an air conditioner unit. They call me because they want to go on a cruise or a vacation.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And probably people would be in better financial health if more people approached it that way. What do you think the number one reason is if we were to go out to some of the clients that end up working with you um, and ask them, what's the number one reason a client chooses your team?
1: Yeah, The first one is that we're cops. You know, I've, I've had a lot of people in the financial world go, man, how do I get into this niche? And my response is, go to the police academy and strap a, a gun and badge on and, and wear it for 10, 15, 20 years. Cause there's a certain amount of trust. Um, you know, I instill with my cops that you know it, it's a it, it, there's it, there's good and bad working with first responders as a first responders, right? The, the good is is there's an inherent trust because we sit across the table from somebody, we know the language, we know the stories, we we're brothers and sisters in that sense. It can be a double-edged sword though because if you screw up one account, you do the wrong thing. Word travels very quickly in our industry. And it's it's why we've been recognized by some very, very prestigious organizations nationally that are influential in the law enforcement world. And so that's the first kind of icebreaker is is that we have that inherent trust because we are first responders, but then through our process and how we operate, we back up that trust by making sure that we're doing the right things. And I tell my cops that work for me, you you do the right things for the right reasons even if it costs the company money, I'm okay with that. As long as it was for the right reason, it was the right thing to do because I never want to violate that trust that our brothers and sisters have instilled on us to help them with their financial planning.
0: That's great. Where do you spend your time when you're not working? What do you like to do for fun? It's my one other than the beginning of the story, I also like to weave in for our listeners that our our industry does have downtime. And after listening to you with all that energy that you've got and uh, the travel and the sheer numbers of people that you're making a difference in their lives, there's still got to be some time for some some personal interests. Yeah, what do you do yeah. for fun?
1: Well, about nine months out of the year, I spend my month or my uh, weekends at uh, baseball fields for my 11-year-old son. Uh, my life revolves around that. I, I I complain sometimes about the the there's no time in the weekend, but then when we don't have baseball, it's like what what am I doing? Uh, the rest of the time, I spend with my daughter who's eight, who's uh, in the cheerleading, and so trying to spend as much time with them as possible. Uh, that consumes a lot of my life. I've I've really gotta with my travel schedule so intense now. I've really fallen in love with hiking, though, and so uh, one of the things I try to do is when I do go teach, I try to strategic, strategically schedule classes around being able to go on hikes, and um, I, my wife's actually terrified. I've got a bucket list we're going I'm going to do in, uh, in October. I'm actually going to fly out and go to Zion National Park and do my first two days of solo hikes, and uh, she gave me my Christmas present early, which was a sat phone GPS tracker thingy, <laughs> but <laughs> You know, that's, that's just kind of been my release is making sure I'm, I'm present for my kids and my family and, and attending those sports because you only get that time, chance once. But then also where's my release to go out there? And that's just what I found is when I'm out there in the mountains and I'm hiking with no cell phone coverage, no earbuds, just me and nature, it's it's just that's that's been my, my getaway and release. Yeah.
0: Pretty inspiring. Family first. I like that mantra for sure. And I can attest that even if you get a little fatigued over time from going to the athletic events or other things that your children might have going on, it's crazy when they, that no longer exists. And you look back, you have to, you almost have to reinvent your life, honestly. Um, So do you go hiking by yourself?
1: Uh, I do a lot of times. Um, You know, I, I, I don't go on the crazy, crazy, I mean, where you're not gonna see a ton of people. Uh, but you know, Carrie has gone with me a couple times and I love being out there in nature with her, but uh, I love being out there solo and just going where the wind kind of blows you. What's your favorite hiking location so far? So, so far, cause I just found this love about uh, six months ago. Uh, my favorite place so far to hike has been up in Twin Falls, Idaho. Uh, that was a, a lot of fun up there, just kind of hiking into some of the gorges and, and um, the the water the waterfalls up there are crazy uh so just going into the hike not knowing what you're going to find and then all of a sudden coming out to this massive waterfall that that was that was pretty cool
0: that's powerful great so nick as we near the end what haven't i asked you what do you think the listeners need to hear about you or um, about the process that i haven't asked
1: i don't think it's mainly about me and the process but i i want to take a minute to uh, talk about why i chose cambridge because um, I went through a very extensive search. And one of the things I loved about Cambridge, besides the, the, the volume of people you have and the size is just the sense of community. And I give you an example, you know, you know, there are multiple different OSJs under the Cambridge umbrella. And while we are technically competitors, we're not. And, you know, one of the things that we've started so far since we've joined Cambridge is, is we've identified a couple of other first responder centric groups. We've actually started a mastermind group amongst us to go, Hey, how do we, how do we, how do we collaborate? How do we talk to each other? How do we call somebody that's got frustrations that understands what we're going through? And, and I think that's a very unique thing about Cambridge is that sense of family and how do we connect and work together instead of view each other as competitors. And that's. That's something that is very tough to find in this industry um, and something core to the Cambridge belief that 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 has been a a joy to go through.
0: Well, thank you for recognizing the synergies and our core values and sharing that that uh, story and perspective. It's a great example of what I like to call hashtag Cambridge stronger. And um, it's, it's great that we find people like you that we share a certain set of common values. And it often goes in a lot of different directions. To your point, you found some that are aligned really well, but it is like a big family. uh, And uh, we're, we're really lucky to have you on it. Nick, thank you for your service as well, you and your team. And um, it's a really inspiring story. I'm really glad that we got to bring you on the podcast to share today. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.